Antonians and welcome to Brap Talk. This is an almost weekly podcast where we talk about the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Bueller of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure, the rumple to my stilt skin, Mr. Shaheen Ovandi! I mean, clearly, your lungs are in tip-top shape. I do not have the COVID. And watching you drive around or ride around the track, clearly your body is also in pretty good shape. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the things, Shane. You're riding your bicycles. You're doing your Pilates. You got your yoga mat out here. I may not. We may not have done a, a podcast in the last month, but that doesn't mean we haven't been uh, doing things. We've been busy. We've been a couple of busy bodies around here. Doing, doing all things. Tell me what you've been up to. You have big news. Tell the world. Well, I, you know, I've been riding my motorcycle more often. Okay, that's good. Uh, mostly to work. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I've been working. Uh-huh. And where are you working Busy at? working. Where? You know, Jensen, sometimes the old adage of careful what you ask for, you might get it, <laughs> goes along with the other adage of put your money where your mouth is. Uh-huh. And both those became incredibly um those Venn diagrams just, overlapped. Yeah, they just they just immediately overlapped in my in my weird little life. I am now the general manager of a little Ducati dealership here in Portland, Oregon called Moto Corsa. Congratulations. Thanks. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's God, been fun. Godspeed, sir. <laughs> it's been three weeks now. I finished three weeks on Saturday, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to kind of, you know, put into effect all the beliefs and and ideas that I have behind what it takes to run a good motorcycle dealership and and learning a lot and kind of figuring out the politics of it, the powers that be, which are above me, and the red tape that comes along with them. And, uh, you know, all the dynamic attitudes and personalities that come come with the dealership and the customers and everything else. So it's it's been super duper fun. And I'm thinking maybe you and I can spend some time together and come up with like a little gone racing style story about it. I don't know, gone dealing. Gone dealing. I like that. <laughs> I feel like I've been I've been fighting a lot with Google on on advertising because it's just they're a beast and you can't get a human on the phone to save right. your life, which is really horrible. But I feel like that's something that would get me in trouble. Gone dealing. I would immediately get tagged as selling drugs what or are you selling penis enhancements or something. <laughs> and I just uh, I mean that's pretty much what I sell. Yeah, that's fair. That's kind of like a drug that also is a genitalia enhancement for any person who's writing it. It's a penis proxy. It's you know penis vagina proxy, whatever. That would be a great. That'd be a great punk rock name. Penis penis proxy. proxy. Yeah, <laughs> we're a penis proxy and we're gonna rock you out. <laughs> Take the blue pill if you want a headbang. <laughs> uh, if this headbang goes on for more than four hours, call a doctor. Are we not doing phrasing? Ah, uh, we're way past phrasing. <laughs> Tell me, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about dealership stuff on the show. Uh, tell me what your vision for Moto Corsa is going forward. Let's, I'm going to interview you for a minute. Oh, Let's man, do that's this. crazy. What's what the, the hell's going seat? on here? Yeah. You didn't know this was coming. Oh, God, I'm not prepared. Uh, what's my vision for Moto Corsa? That, that's, again, it's, it's a very, you know, I always say this. It's so easy to play chess on somebody else's board because 
you can just make these moves. You can have these suggestions that don't really affect you very much. And now that I'm like sitting there with my own chess game, it's like, uh oh, so now what do I do? You know, what, what's next? And that question probably arises 10 times a day. And no matter what you do, there's always something else that comes up. And it doesn't have to be bad. It's never actually really bad. It's just, it's just dynamic. It's constantly changing. There's always a new idea, a new person, a new sale, a new something, a new need. Um, so my goal for Motocorsa is to bring it back to being the number, number one dealership in the country again. So Motocorsa, for those who don't know, is the six-time title-holding number one dealership in North America for Ducati sales. It's kind of a funny thing to say because it sits in Portland, Oregon, which is a very seasonal city. I, I, I was going to say, the, the preface to that is it's a weird market to be the number one dealer in Portland. It's right. not a big city in terms of New York is bigger, San Francisco is bigger, right. San Diego, LA, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a more of a blue-collar town. Um, so to have the number one volume dealer here in the city limits is kind of a thing. Like that's, that's, that's like winning the heavyweight title with one arm behind your back. Yeah. It's interesting though. It kind of tells you a lot about our customer base, our riders here in the Northwest. And I've always talked about them as being a little more, um, hardy than any other rider I've ever met because we kind of come to terms with the fact that it rains six yeah. months out of the year here, you know, more often than not. You have to want it. Yeah, you have to want it. And it's like, do you park the bike for six months or do you just go and get prepared and ride, buy the right gear and just geek out on all the Gore-Tex stuff and be like, cool, I can ride my bike, you know, a hundred more days maybe, or even more. My bike is two and a half years old and it's 26,000 miles old now. So it's like, you can ride it all the time. We're, we're pretty lucky in the Portland area and that we live in a valley and, the, and it hardly ever, you know, gets to the point of like, heavy snow or freeze we, we do get it but it's such a small number of days compared to other northern cities so we can still ride within the city limits pretty much almost all year it's rainy and wet and full of train tracks and scary but i mean that that says a lot about our riders they're they're out to ride and they're out to enjoy their bikes and you're right a lot of them are sort of blue collar and they really have you know something to prove to themselves and that they've made it they can afford the thing and now they want to use the thing so we don't you know, yeah, we have people that buy bikes and ride them maybe a thousand miles a year, but we have more daily regular riders than I've ever seen anywhere else. So kind of a neat crowd. And it's kind of neat to be back in the showroom and talk to them every day. I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, loud, boisterous person. And uh, this has been a good outlet for me. My, my, my dear wife is finally like, thank God he's out of the house. Go somewhere else with your noise. You whistle a lot. <laughs> uh, it it kind of reminds me, or the Portland riding scene kind of reminds me of when I lived in Holland. Because it's 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 kind of similar climate where you get that wet, cold thing going right. on. And I remember going on a ride when I, when I was in Holland. And like, I swear like a thousand people showed up to this thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the headcount was, but it, there was just bikes and bikes and bikes and bikes. And it was like a rally type thing. But right. I didn't think there was that many motorcyclists in the country, let alone <laughs> when, when was I there? It was just coming out of winter, basically. It was early spring. It wasn't a good day for it. It wasn't warm. It was rainy. It was wet. And people still showed up because they're fucking hardcore. Because yeah. you have to be if you want to 
be a motorcyclist there. Yeah, if you want to ride it more than a month out of the year. Yeah, I think you it's the get same, serious. same way here. It's like you just, you harden the fuck up or you go home. Yeah, and new motorcycles for the most part, you know, are have ABS and traction control and you can get heated grips really easily now. So there's, there's so many ways to make that, you know, dream attainable. If you want to ride, then there are things we can do to make it right, you know, where you can ride it. Um, I'm glad to be back. It's kind of, it's kind of fun to be in the mix of it again and kind of see everything and, you know, be dealing with our local racing group and our track days and, you know, all of my adventure riding buddies who want to be a part of the dealership and kind of make, you know, big news with us. So it's been cool. The last three weeks have gone by in what feels like a flash. I can't even believe it's been three weeks. It feels like two days. Sure. It's insane. Let me, let me ask you business questions. What are the strengths of Motocorsa right now? What are you building your foundation off of? Um, the culture. The culture is, I think, the number one strength of it. We, we have just this really neat, I keep using the word dynamic because dynamic because it's really real about them. There's just this colorful motley crew of like just over two dozen people who work really, really well together, even though they're very different people. And they all have the same goal in mind. And it's the goal is this. And I, and I repeat it to everyone who's willing to listen to me. A motorcycle dealership, there's not a thing in a motorcycle dealership that's a necessity in daily life. And so as long as you understand that and you realize mm. that people... Huh? The bathroom. Okay, fair enough. The bathroom's super important. Yeah. But I'm not selling you the bathroom. You just come use it. <laughs> well, don't have to buy something to use the bathroom. <laughs> Customers only, man. Come I on. Know, right? Especially right now. Everything's getting washed every five minutes. So, you know, everything but the bathroom is pretty much a non-essential there. And so for people to come into our doors and buy, whether it's a motorcycle or a pair of gloves or a helmet or, you know, anything, a oil filter, that means they've now, especially in today's weird world, they've left the safety of their home and they're expecting some kind of experience. And the experience could be either a, whoa, that's a cool dealership experience, or just simply someone that is knowledgeable and can, you know, guide them through the thing that they need to figure out. And so, you know, the strength that we have is this incredible group of people. I mean, everyone from parts to service to sales to apparel, everybody is just super tuned in because they're all motorcycle geeks, every single one of them. And they ride everything from dirt to you name it. And when you walk in there, you're sort of, you know, hit with this sort of, I don't know, this, this culture of a bunch of motorcycling geeks that hang out in this really cool store around these really fancy red Ducatis, but they're not stiff upper lip. They're not like, oh, we're better than you because we're Ducatisti. No, it's a come, come, everybody come in. Everybody come see this thing. We're fully inclusive. We want you to experience it. We want you to see how attainable it is and how much fun it is. And that's always been my goal for any dealership. I think any dealership should, should have that in mind. I've had GMs of other stores who've walked into my shop now and they come up to me and go, I have never had this experience walking into any dealership, car, or motorcycle, or otherwise. And it's like, well, you have the power to empower your employees to understand that if a customer is at a level eight, you should be at a level 10 with them. Just help them elevate and so, sort of celebrate the idea that we're all motorcyclists and we love this thing. And I don't care if you're buying a $5 part or a $40,000 motorcycle. Everyone gets the same exact experience. And that's kind of my job as the coach to kind of make sure everyone at the shop understands that. So that's our strength. That's our number one strength because the hardware you can buy almost anywhere. Hmm. Tell me what are the weaknesses of the dealership? What are the things you're looking to improve upon? 
Um, I think the weakness is going to be sort of the brick and mortar dilemma and that people can buy a lot of things online. And so the way you improve it again is just, you know, broadcasting and telling people, Hey, we, we know the equipment, we know it really well. And, you know, we're local and we're sort of a mom and pop feeling store. And, and, you know, when you buy from us, you're not just buying this thing, but you're getting an education to go along with it so that you're making the right decision. So you're not just buying a thing based on a review that's online. You're actually there to touch it, feel it, talk about it. And a lot of times people get surprised when they're looking at something and go, no, no, that's not right for you, even though it's more expensive than the other thing. And so, you know, it's, it's the brick and mortar, um, you know, storefront is in a bit of trouble as we've talked about ad nauseum at this point. And, you know, the thing that they have to constantly work up to the uphill battle is proving to their customer base that it's worthwhile for them to come in through the doors. And so the only way to do that is customer retention. I truly think it's, it's so much easier to create a, an atmosphere where a customer will happily tell their friends and their family members and whoever they know that, oh yeah, this is the place you should go and buy stuff. Like the reference, you know, anytime you get a referral in any sort of sales, it's so important. It's such a strong and powerful thing because that person who's referred the other person to you has already sort of closed the deal. They've already done the hard part of getting them through the door for you. Once that person's in through the door and they've heard great things about you, they're already a little more relaxed. They're a little more comfortable. And they tend to not want to fight you about it. And we remind them, hey, this is a fun thing. We're not here to stress you out. If you love it, you, you'll, you'll want it. If you don't love it, then it's not the right one for you. It's a very emotional purchase, this motorcycle. Or the helmet or the jacket that's going to match it or whatever you're going to buy. So, you know, <clears throat> looking within the shop, we don't really necessarily have a huge amount of weaknesses. You know, we're all dealing with this COVID thing right now uh, throughout the country. But if you look at a lot of different shops, they're all sort of, um, showcasing crazy elevated numbers right now because a lot of people are figuring out that motorcycling is this, you know, way to kind of escape a little bit and have this quote-unquote social distancing experience of being within your helmet, on your own bike, on your own somewhere. So we're seeing a lot of dirt bikes out there. We're seeing a lot of, you know, stuff like that. Please be careful. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I'm rambling. Tell me about the the opportunities. What what opportunities are available to a dealership like Motocorsa right now? In what way? Just in general, like the landscape. Like <clears throat> I always think it's interesting when when we have something like like COVID. You know, when we have something like this pandemic, or when you have a recession. There's a lot of doom and gloom, but there's also a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of opportunities that just kind of come out of the woodwork and present themselves. Right. Or you know, you got to make lemonade out of those lemons. So I'm kind of curious to see where that you, some sugar, baby. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see where you, where you see like some gains could be made in, in like the overall picture. Where, right, the, so where this, the angles this, at, Shaheen? This is, a, this is a freebie that I'm going to let our other listeners who are in the industry kind of have. Your opportunity, the thing that you can sort of maximize your gains on, if you lift, bro, um, is going to be that 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 customer service that little extra something that you know I've, I've always said it if people have listened to us before that this is going to be similar familiar to them those little extras shouldn't be extras that the little extra bit of customer service shouldn't be an extra the idea that you can pick up a customer's motorcycle for them or you know show to them that we're cleaner and and kind of um, simplify the buying process 
um, doesn't necessarily even just go hand in hand with COVID. It's just the new buyers, right? We've talked about, you and I have talked about what a new young buyer is like, what they expect, what, you know, what they are willing and not willing to deal with. And we kind of see it every day. It's, it's, it's not like the, you know, back in the day of going into a car shop and what can I do to get you on this car or in this motorcycle? That's, those days are gone, man. There are some people that are still like that, but they're, they're sort of ancient and it, and it, you know, the new buyer doesn't work that way. So, you know, the things that we do are, you know, extended service pickups, you know, we'll go up to Seattle and pick up motorcycles for people. Like we got someone going out tomorrow to drop off and pick up, I think a combined six motorcycles, uh, with our van. Most bike shops have some kind of a van or trailer or truck set up at this point. And so, you know, if you can be smart with your service department and kind of be like, Hey, we have this circle, let's call it a three hour drive circle from the city or from that We'll make it easier for one of our customers if they're having to work from home and they can't necessarily leave. We'll come get your thing for you and take care of it. That part really helps a lot. The sales aspect of it, shockingly enough, is has been pretty strong uh, for almost every shop that I'm, you know, friends with. No one's really complaining that much because people are looking at as the, you know as a as a you know form of escape. So the things that you can really you know focus on is your customer service and your cleanliness and proving to your customers that you're taking good care of your shop, proving to your customers that you're going to take better care of them. And it's not going to necessarily cost them anything extra. Even if it is, it's such a minimal amount that most people don't even bat an eye at it. If it's going to cost me an additional 25 bucks for you to come pick up my motorcycle up to do an oil change for me, okay, come get my bike. I don't have to leave my house. What do you see as the threats? What are what are the things that you're you're hedging against that could happen in the future? Or happen in the, in the well, near future, I should say. As things are going right now, the only threat that we could possibly have is the people who are sort of poo-pooing the idea of this COVID thing. And if they keep poo-pooing it and, and nationally the numbers keep rising, then you know we're going to see a lot of places get shut down again. And if that happens, then people aren't going to have as many jobs. People aren't going to have as much money. They're not going to be as much spending happening. And bike shops are not essential, so they're going to shut down. That right now is the biggest threat. And so like, you know, we have this thing with Ducati called Ducati Care, where we're, you know, washing bikes all the time. We're wiping down the store all the time. We've got, you know, sanitized pens versus dirty pens cups at every station. Um, you know, we have uh, hand sanitizer stations all throughout the store. And if you don't have a mask, I've got a bunch of mask paper masks that you can wear if you enter the store. So we can't force anybody to do this stuff, but we can certainly lead by example and everybody at the shop is always covered up so <clears throat> we're doing everything we can as the store and i hope every other store is doing the same thing to sort of promote and ensure and lead by example of doing the right thing hopefully hoping that other people do the same thing so that these you know these covid numbers go down and we don't have to worry about things like having to shut down again and seeing the entire economy of the entire com country just you know crumble yeah, it's kind of a crazy time for for anything that's retail based or person in person. Uh, I just saw today that Europe has uh, left the U.S. out of its list of countries that it will let um, citizens right. travel to right. or travel from to. I just said that incredibly poorly. Uh, basically, I won't be going to Europe anytime soon. No, it's, they're it's they're basically banning us, aren't they? Um, I mean, you can kind of like it's interesting to watch uh, the the different cases around the country going up some of them some of them are going down but a lot of them seem like they're going up 
I was just talking to my neighbor who's a doctor the other day and, you know, she was kind of commenting that, you know, here in Oregon, we've been really lucky. And in a way that's unlucky because no one here has got any sort of immunity. No one has any antibodies. We've, no one's really been infected. So we're just kind of like a time bomb waiting to tick, you know, and explode. And it'll be like, well, when's our, when's our peak going to happen? When's our (laughs) boom going to happen? And you know, how bad is it going to be? And no one, no one has really an answer for that. No. This is so new in yeah. every way possible. So it's it's kind of a scary time like to to kind of like be dependent on on a business that has foot traffic like right. like that a dealership has. Right. Um I mean we've made it where even you know if you don't if you're not comfortable about coming into the store we'll do the entire deal over the phone and email and then we'll bring the bike to you and we'll put it on your driveway and you know all your paperwork is already done by you and you shipped it back to us and you know we go through every process possible to make things as clean as possible but it's an interesting time to live in where it's like oh yeah that's an extra service well how about that just becomes part of our service right right and so it's is it inconvenient for us to have to leave the store every couple of days to deliver a bunch of motorcycles no man we're selling motorcycles it's not an inconvenience it's just part of the job and it's dynamic like i keep saying and it keeps changing and you have to be willing to kind of bend with it a little bit otherwise you're going to be left behind that kind of ties into the like what i was saying with the opportunity where like covid has kind of created this thing now where you know we saw like honda suzuki kawasaki yamaha all these brands in the u.s and now it's like oh we'll do home delivery for you and you're like you guys weren't doing that before yeah like why why does it take a pandemic (laughs) for like a dealer to be willing to drop the bike off at your house and do the transaction over the phone why why did it take so long i can i can order shaheen i can order fifty thousand playpen balls and have them delivered to my house and make my guest room into a giant playpen ball bounce thing whatever you call that is the thing we're doing i mean we're adults now we get to define we what can, that yeah means. i mean we have adult money we can do <laughs> absolutely i'm so into that i might uh, do that to my sales manager right? my sales manager has this like i call it the tardis for those of for the people that know what doctor who is it who? looks like it looks like a big phone booth like it's i think it's, it's like it's like eight by eight square you know it's just slightly bigger than the karaoke booth <laughs> i i sheltered in <laughs> at the right chinese airport <laughs> So I would love the idea of just like just dumping those balls in there. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. It'd be a good little surprise. We should talk about this uh, this uh, bouncing ball. I, thing. I researched. It's not cheap. I mean, you know, you would think it would be cheaper. It, it, the hard thing is, it's hard to buy them in more than packs of five hundred. <laughs> so it's hard to get a good price. Right, right, right. Uh, sure somebody somewhere's got some listeners going to be like. Dude, I know a person. <laughs> I got Email a ball. Us. I got a ball guy. I got Email. a ball Tell guy. Tell me about your colorful ball guy or girl. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you also you don't want to buy secondhand balls. No, no, you want your balls to be clean, firsthand, preferably sanitized. Balls are the way to go nowadays. Yeah, yeah, clean, <laughs> clean, clean balls. <laughs> There's a blue ball joke in here somewhere. There's I just can't find it. Well. Shaheen, congratulations again. Thank you. I am very excited for, for you on this new adventure and uh, to see where it takes you. And I get, you know, be fun to watch. Yeah, you get you get you kind of get to have a first person view of it and see how it goes. I mean, it's, you know, as I told my wife the other day, it's like as the GM of a of anything, any shop or anything like that, ultimately your job is to make the other people's jobs easier. So you help them in every way possible. And then throughout the day, you put out tiny little fires. That's all you're doing. Just all day long, tiny little fires. 
before they even become a fire. You just put them out, take care of them, get it done. Because the last thing you want to do is deal with a fucking blaze and, you know, pull your own hairs out and then dislike going to work. I, I love that place. I, I love the motorcycle shop feeling. Like the first day I walked in there, I was like, oh, there's, there's that smell of the smell of rubber and like leather and gasoline and oil. It's just that perfect mixture of what a motorcycle dealership smells like and everyone who's listening to this has been there and they know that smell it's such a very unique thing i get to i get to have it every day so it's kind of a cool little gift uh it took a long time to get to this point and now that i'm here i keep thinking back on all the conversations you and i have had and it's like cool i have all these opportunities now and i can do a lot of really neat things but i've got kind of a corporate identity behind me that i have to also deal with. So, you know, that's the other part of the, of the job of any GM. You're, you're helping your, your coworkers have a better, easier time at work so that they can be efficient and do their job well, so that they can sort of make your vision a reality. But at the same time, you're also the buffer between whoever owns the shop and them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well prepared for it, I think. And, you know, whatever comes my way, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been very lucky in that I can sort of work through it and part of that is because i've got just a really awesome you know drum tight team so uh i've got my fingers crossed and i'm looking forward to being there for a long long time right on man yep what else you got uh well not much not much for me uh i was on the track yesterday yeah, I was gonna or say, not yesterday it, on it feels like sunday yesterday. it it literally feels <laughs> like yesterday <laughs> that uh, was like the first real track day in portland yeah, this season. Yeah. Yeah, six months in. Wow. Six months in. I was thinking about it. It's been four months since I've been on the track, and that track day was probably four months since the last time. Oof. Um, so you so rode your Kramer. I rode the Kramer, uh, just kind of shaking it out, make sure everything I did this winter is is good to go. Nothing's right. going to fall off of it. Just kind of getting my head at it. Your wheel, your rear wheel was on tight, and everything yeah, was all the bolts. All the, <laughs> all the bolts were in. All those things. That thing actually looked and sounded really good. It's looking. It's looking really good. It's working really good. Uh, I had to break in, so I, I was really lucky. Uh, Brake Tech made me a custom iron rotor, a Whoa. three thirty. Sorry, we were talking about this a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um. So I have the only three thirty iron rotor for a. 1290 how was that i wheel. mean did you did you feel throughout the day as you broke it in at having more and more bite or well here's the thing right when you're four seconds off the pace nothing feels good <laughs> everything feels like <laughs> shit um so that was like the that was like the wake-up call is just like like what's going on with the rider like i was on the struggle bus to be honest oh, man, i mean that's that's hard work though i mean even even like pushing as hard as i could with other riders, uh, there was two other gentlemen who were in my uh, class out there with me, and just for like just for reference, we're probably all capable of doing 14s around PI. Okay, so minute 14, we struggled, struggled, <laughs> struggled to get into the 19s. No kidding, just struggled. Now some of that's practice versus race. Some of that's super green track. I think we're the second. Uh, yeah, there's still a lot of goose shit in the back straight. Yeah, I think we were the second <laughs> event on PIR right. this year. There was like a car thing last week. Uh, for a lot of us, it's like our first time on the track in a while. You know, just there's a lot of factors there. But man, you sit there and you're just like, yep, 
We had a little bit of a headwind. I'm yeah. gonna throw the headwinds in there too. <laughs> a little headwind. There's a little headwind. There's, you know, there was there was a drizzle at some point. I think that was a fact. I mean, I looked at my data. I was five miles an hour down the front straight than than I normally am. Huh. So there was something going on there. So there's like, yeah. I mean, I, I I spent the morning breaking in the disc. It's got a protective coating on it, so it doesn't rust. So you have to get right. that off, and then you have to switch out the pads, and then have to beat in those pads or bed in those pads, and do the whole the whole rigmarole. Uh, it felt good. I liked it. I don't think I've explored its potential yet. And I was actually, um, I was watching the video of our sessions and I'm like 200 feet off my brake marker. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing about that was good, Shaheen. It's good in the sense that like, it's good to shake it out and, right. and kind of like, you know, loosen it up get, get and, the, and get the joints to move a little. Yeah. I just see where we were. <laughs> and, and truthfully, like, my only goal for the day was to, to get that brake uh, broken in. And to kind of dust off the cobwebs right. and to make sure, mostly just verify that the bike's in good working order. There's nothing I have to worry about before right. the season starts. Um, so, like, I check all the boxes for, like, what I want to get done that day. But I still look back on it and I'm just like, really? I could fix a couple of things. We got I'm, another one coming up in a couple of days. 19s, huh? Really? <laughs> Maybe next Sunday you'll be, like, in the 16s, 15s. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> it's going to be a rough <laughs> season if I'm not. The only, the only you were the only one that was struggling though. That's the thing. The only, the only upside I can take away from it is I had two super fast guys with me, and I was faster than both of them. Woo, there you go. So we're like, I'm struggling less than they were struggling. Everybody went home hanging their heads down a little bit and being humbled by the several months we've been sitting at home. <laughs> you know who the big winner was though? Hannah Johnson. Always. She gets out there in her R3. Doesn't care. And she's like. I mean, the R3, like, I don't even think it makes 40 horsepower. So it's it's literally like half the horsepower. <laughs> and she's out there doing like 23s, 24s, Just, which is a pretty yeah, fast that's, time. That's fa- I mean, there was people out there on leader bikes barely yeah. doing that. La- lap record for an R3 is a 22-23. So she's, like, Johnson, she's on my the pace. Hero. My five foot two hero. Oh, my God. And she's sitting there. And like, and I, I get behind her, and I was, I was filming her. And like... We go through the turns and I'm like, I cannot keep up. <laughs> I am literally, I'm only in this because I, I can catch her on the straights. I'm just like, I'm like, what the, f- what is what going doing? on? Did you, did you just at least ever tow you around maybe with an actual rope? Well, the fun, fun, fun part is we get down the front straight and she's just kind of putting along doing like, I don't know. I don't have my speedometer doesn't work. Uh, That's one of the things I does what, 100 miles an hour? Oh, God. Who knows? Uh, yeah. like Maybe barely. with her on it, it'll do 100. So I get behind her and I start pushing her tail section. So I start pushing <laughs> her down the front straight. There's a great little like, uh, I think you saw it on Facebook. There's like a little progression of like, because I got it on camera. You can take the frames and you're like, I'm coming up and I'm pushing her. And then she's like looking back at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Get away. So we had, Swatting you off. We had, some, we had some fun. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty big wake up call on, on where I'm at for the season and where everyone else is at. And, um, we've got as of right now, just under three weeks before our first race. Yeah. So, uh, I'm lucky. I, yeah. Like you mentioned this coming weekend, I've got another, another track day with Moto Corsa. Yep. Um, a little news then on the, what is it? The 17th, 16th. Okay. I fly down to Laguna Seca. Whoa! Well, to go what? ride the Ducati Superleggera V4. You're what a what what? Yeah. Can I come? No, you can't what because the all hell? the crazy the travel the restrictions. in the country, and I still can't come. It's so it's so weird because it's like, like there's gonna be like 
eight of us there, but we can't like have dinner together. And yeah. like, we have to like sterilize the hotel room and I could drive down if I wanted. I'm like, why would I want to drive down? But then I was like, I don't really want to get on a plane either, but it's a super luxury every four. So I guess I'm going <laughs> to. So are they going to have like a bike there for the eight of you to just kind of split time on? My understanding, there'll be two bikes for us to ride. What? There'll be another bike for like static display. And then like, maybe like a fourth bike or parts of a fourth bike for, you know, like to show the, the stuff, right? Like fairings, like right. the fairings taken off or something the like that. The bike is so just juicy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny how they pitch it. They're like, don't worry. We'll, we'll you'll have a V four R's to warm up on. <laughs> I'm like, Oh goodness. Thank you. We'll have a $40,000 bike yeah, to warm just, up on before know, we ride a hundred thousand dollar bike. bike. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've ridden the V four R at, at Laguna. You liked the V4R. I did. I, I came back. I threw the PR guy the key. I was like, worth every dollar. Worth every fucking dollar. You know, it's funny. I keep I keep hearing those words out of your mouth, and there's a part of me that's like, well, I mean, as a GM, I should buy a new bike again. I know I've been saying Street Fighter, but Jensen keeps saying the V4R is pretty badass, but I'm not V4R faster. So maybe a V2 for me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you could get one out of price. That's the thing, you right? Got a, you got a guy, right? I got a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I'm I'm excited about that, but the only downside is that's that's Thursday. My practice session for my race is that next Friday, so I, I literally will have to fly home that night. Wow! Head over to the track in the morning, do a day of practice, and then I'm right into the racing day. So Woo. I'll have four track days to shake off. Yeah, you just you're just kind of throwing it all at once. Yeah, shake off all the <laughs> rust, get out there, do the thing. I'm so excited to talk to you after the V4 Super Legera ride. I'm excited excited to talk to myself after the V4. That like, thing's going to be rad. Like, I'm thinking we shouldn't even talk to each other. We just go straight to the mics. Yeah. Okay. I that's, think that's, that's that could just, be good. That's just so exciting. It'll be... I don't think it's the most expensive bike I've ever ridden, but it's damn close. It's up there. Uh, Probably most expensive street bike. I mean, it depends how you factor. Like, I rode the Mission R. How much was that? I mean, that's kind of like, like, how do you value that yeah. bike? It was street legal. But it was the only one in the world. They only made like okay, okay. How about three the most expensive mass produce? Mass produce? Mass produce? Sure. Production? Production? Yeah, production, production. street bike. It's not really a mass produced bike if they're only doing five hundred of them. Um, Mini produced. Yeah, because I, I I had the collarbone thing for the for the Honda the RC twenty one three VS. Right. Uh, so I missed that. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, for sure. I have a like, lot of what, uh, what other motorcycles are $100,000 right, in production? Right. How often do you do a six-figure bike out of a factory? <laughs> it's insane. So but it comes cool. with a two-year warranty and all that stuff. <laughs> Isn't that bonkers? It's insane. That's, that, for me, is the big thing about that, where it's like, yeah, it's got regular valve intervals yeah. and a two-year warranty. 18,000-mile valve intervals. Enjoy warranty. your carbon frame and your carbon fiber wheels and your carbon fiber swing arm. If you buy a, a $100,000 bike, <laughs> the warranty, you just, you just get the warranty. Oh, can you sell an extended warranty on that? Probably. I think any street legal bike that they've done, you can do an ex- extended really? warranty on. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Uh-huh. That's, there's money to be made there. Someone's, even the, not, even someone's the, not doing the math right on that. Uh, listen, it's not. I don't think the warranty is going to be particularly cheap, but uh, on a $100,000 vehicle, you should just buy the warranty. It'll probably cost you like whatever. But Says the dealer. Uh-huh. So, see, uh-huh. Now I got to watch hey, everything I've always you said. said it. Get the warranty, Says man. the dealer. That's such a dealer game. It's so funny. Yeah, like, man, you we totally just, want to buy that extended warranty. Well, we just sold, like, for instance, we just sold and the a, undercoating. 
Oh, you got to have the undercoating on a motorcycle, <laughs> bro. Do you want a leaky motorcycle? I don't. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, what else? What else? Oh, I rode the Street Fighter V4. During oh, yeah, I, our, threw the, uh, I threw you the keys to that thing. Yeah. Here, bro, have the Street Rider V4 on the track. That was you tough. said something that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> what was You're that? You're like, going down the straightaway, this thing makes your face hurt. It literally <laughs> made my eyes hurt. That's the hard thing. Like, PIR is not a great track to, to ride in. No, naked it's just such track. a top speed track. I, I mean, I think I did a buck 70. Uh, be, and I say I think because. There's so much pressure on your face, and it, like it literally hurt my eyes because it's just pulling my eyes back, like like I'm warping. You need like one time. of those triathlon style helmets that goes to a point, or just like a cone of shame. Um, <laughs> it's a fun bike. I, I mean, I I feel like I didn't really give it justice. I think I only did like six laps on it because yeah, you were you were back pretty quick. I wasn't feeling good. Just generally, I wasn't feeling good with that day. I wasn't feeling good with my riding. I was I was on the poopy train. I was on the struggle bus, and it physically hurt. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> oh, my eyes hurt. I'm only I'm only gonna get hurt more. I'm only gonna <laughs> crash more or hurt more, or my helmet's gonna rip off. Or I, know, or I saw you I saw you come in, and then I was like, well, what's the matter? And then you went right back out again. And you oh, were yeah, you were finagling with, with all the suspension. Yeah, yeah. So I went out. I mean, first of all, I. PIR the 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 gritting up spot for the track day when you're on the outside of the track is literally the drag strip. It is literally the drag strip. It's got what is it called the DH something the the DHT sticky. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, DHL. No, that's something else. Um, <laughs> and so like LSD. I don't yeah, know. that 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 would have. Oh man, can you imagine riding that bike on LSD? She's wept. That just sounds terrifying. To yeah. Me. No. Um. So you, you have to giggle when you launch it, and you're just like. Fuck me, that motor just just goes. Uh, so that was really cool. It, it's got so much. There's so much rev in it, and there's so much power, and there's so much torque. It, it's hard not to giggle. Like I definitely giggled down the front straight <laughs> the first time, and then when my eyes started hurting, I got I kind of got over it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm crying. But it's so it was set up so loose. Like that's why I came in. I had to futz with the uh, the settings to. Yeah, I think you were on street mode basically when you went out. No, we're not on track. But like even the track settings, like what was the one that was really getting me it was the rear rebound. And I come in on it, and it's like on setting eleven out of. I don't know, probably 20 or whatever 20 or it is. 28 or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh-huh. We're going all the way down to three. This is <laughs> this is silly. Like, I'm getting the wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Like, no, 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 no. It's just pumping. So that's one of the things I love about the Ducati Electronics, especially on the V4s. It's so intuitive and it's so easy. You don't have to be like a crew chief to, to dick around with the yeah. settings. They make it really obvious. And it literally took me a minute to, to stiffen up all the dampening. You couldn't do... The preload, unfortunately, uh, and if you can, I didn't really see how. Um, so I would have liked a little bit more spring, uh, or I guess I should say a little less spring. But um, yeah, it helped. It helped. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those things. To him, I was just like out there. I was just like, you know what? If I try and go faster, like we're getting into that spot where it's like this might not come back in one piece. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that to you on your uh, on your first month. I appreciate in. it. Basically, through the keys, I'm like, here, have fun. Don't crash it. Didn't, didn't sign shit. <laughs> what? That's implied what? consent, motherfucker. Um, so yeah, it was fun. It was a good day. We had perfect weather. It, it was looking a little rainy. We had a perfect day. So oh, we had a great day. Um, that's what I've been doing on motorcycles. I've mostly been getting ready for for my season. Been cycling a lot to lose weight. Hey, you look great. Uh, I'm trying. I think. I think. 
race day, first race, I'm race number four or five, 450 Superbike. I will have 10 more horsepower than last season oh. and 20 pounds less mass. What? So that's the goal. Man, you're, you're, you should be like a minute. That's where I look at those, those fuckers with their like 20s. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, bring it. I got you. Bring it. You don't even know yet. You minute, don't even know. Minute 13 this year. What's up? I would like to get in the 13s. That's a that's the stretch goal. That would be really we're having such a short season too. Um and I hope I mean we don't know what the weather is gonna be in three weeks, but hopefully it'll be sunny. And then our next round at PIR is in September. Oh. Which that's last, that's, that's questionable. Usually. Last year it was rainy, so yeah. uh-huh. uh that could be tough. But fingers crossed. Hopefully we run the chicane too. I would like to run the chicane in September. If I think for bikes like you, the chicane comes in handy. I, well, I, I also like I'm the I'm the fastest middleweight in the chicane. Yeah. So it, it plays to my hand. But I do like it more. It's, you know, on the Kramer things. So on a normal day. So we did, we were doing 125 down the front straight today. Or t- I keep saying today. Because your body still hurts. It still hurts. I'm still sore. On Sunday, we were doing like 125. Normally, we're 130 at least, 133, maybe 135 in a wow. draft. So like, let's say we're doing 135, just to keep numbers easy. We're probably doing 133 at start-finish, which is pretty much midway down the front straight. Wow. So that other two miles an hour, <laughs> that happens in the last half of the front straight. They're, it just peters out after, after the start-finish line. There's just nothing left. <laughs> And so the the chicane is just, uh, you know, like 600, it's, 700 it's the, feet. It's the equalizer. Yeah, it's just 600, 700 feet after start finish. So it helps break it up where it's like you have a little bit of a, of a front straight and then you go through the chicane and then you pop back out and you, you get kind of dumped right into what we would normally call turn one. Uh, so it, it plays a little bit more into the advantage of of making the Kramer fun. And, right. and it's interesting too because it's three different times, three different types of tarmac. They have to go over and there's some bumps and it's awkward and it's weird. And if you can get over the fact that you come out of it pointed directly at a wall going full bore, that then, <laughs> then, then you're fine. It's everything's little, fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, it's a little I'm not saying it's safe, but I'm not saying or I'm not saying it's unsafe, but it's certainly not safe. But uh that's uh we'll see. I mean, Hopefully that's, in that's racing in general, isn't it? Yeah, fingers crossed. But uh yeah, so that's that's what we've been up to. We are 45 minutes into the show. Nice. Uh, I want to quickly cover the news that we didn't cover for the last month. Since, yeah, for the last month, basically. Okay. Because there's some there's some stuff here. Uh, MotoGP Land Racing Land. Paula Spargo is headed to the Repsol Honda team, booting Alex Marquez out, who will probably end up in LCR Honda. How do you feel be. about this? I think it's bananas. <laughs> I think it's absolutely bananas. I think it's great for Paul. Uh, I think it's only going to piss off Mark Marquez. Um, I think it's really unfair to Alex Marquez. The guy has even hasn't even turned a wheel in a race. He's only had the opportunity to prove himself in the preseason testings. Like talk about talk about someone that's green. Yeah, that's just not a fair shake. And and like maybe will have beginner's look. Yeah, to play devil's advocate for like for Honda, he wasn't like lighting the world on fire. You know, when they announced that he was going to go to the factory team, everyone was like, that's some nepotism right there. What's what's? I was going to ask, what's their end game? What was the point of this, aside from nepotism? Because, I, I mean, I, if you, nepotism doesn't win races. It's just politics. 
I mean, if I'm Honda, I think at the end of the day, my number one job is to make sure Mark Marquez is happy. Right. Um, you know, my our, our colleagues at the uh, Paddock Pass podcast just did an episode on the top five riders of all time for Grand Prix racing. Right. Unanimously, Mark Marquez was number one for them. Oh, yeah, dude. And then they argued over, you know, two through five. Rossi and this and that. Yeah. And, and I think that's fair. I don't know if I... I don't know if I necessarily agree because I might throw a Rossi in as number one just because like I just watched the Michael Jordan (laughs) documentary and like I think Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time and people can go for you. He's the go and people can be like Kobe. People can be LeBron. People can be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Like there's some names that you can throw in there and like you can have the debate. You can definitely tell how old you are. You just named all the basketball players of your time. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, there's, I mean, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> Dr. J. I mean, Dr. J. When I came, actually, when I started becoming a basketball fan, Scotty Pippen for you. Well, that's the thing they talk a lot about Scotty Pippen, <laughs> and like Scotty Pippen was definitely. I I feel so blessed in a way because like when I got when I was into basketball, like when I would go to games and stuff, I'm a, we were we were Warriors uh, season ticket holders back when they, that was tough times. <laughs> but it was like Christopher Mullen, Tim Hardaway. Uh, Latrell Sprewell was kind of towards the end of, of me going to games, but that was, that was right when the dream team was going on. So that was Jordan Pippen, right? Bird had just kind of retired. Magic Johnson though was still a total force. Magic Johnson was one of my favorites. Oh man. He was amazing. Um, David Robinson from the Spurs. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just look at like, like uh, such like a great generation of, of player. Uh, and then you have Michael Jordan and, and, and it's just, that was like the thing that documentary was, was just like he just had that ability to just turn it on and he created a dynasty and he did things that no one another had ever done before and that he's the goat and like you talk you know they interview kobe and they interview um i don't think they interview lebron but they have kobe saying being like kobe being like i would not be as good of a player if it wasn't for michael jordan right, calling me up right. and, and giving me advice and giving me tips he was I the am, halo player that a lot of yeah. players looked up looked up to he's like i'm the way i am because of them and i think that's the same thing with rossi i think a lot of writers today wouldn't be who they are if it wasn't for rossi and you look at no one in the sport has the gravity that rossi has even right now when rossi let's be frank valentino rossi sucks as a racer right now yeah you know he's He's like sixth place all the time yeah you know he's you're not i still go to see him no one's putting their money on him to win a race and and yet he still brings in by far the most fans. He yeah. commands by far the most marketing attention because he's created a dynasty from himself. And I have yet to see if Mark Marquez will have that still that same lasting power. If he'll have that same effect. And like to my to be fair to my my colleagues, to at, be fair, uh, four, uh, at the paddock pass, like they they definitely just make the distinction of on track skill versus right. off track effect, and give Rossi his fair shake. But I think some of it is a recency bias where Rossi's golden years were 15, 20 years ago. Right. And it's hard and it can be – and I remember those races because that's right when I got into MotoGP race. I remember watching him win races by like minutes. Yeah. You know, I remember watching him crash and still win the race um, in the way he handled riders there and broke them. I mean, he would physically, mentally break <laughs> them. It was astounding. Um and like the, it's it's easy to like make that comparison that Marquez is better because Marquez and Rossi are riding at the same time and Marquez right. is handing him you know his dinner on a dish basically. Right. So I get it, but 
that's not to say that Mark Marquez isn't fantastic. And he's doing things that are just mind blowing on a bike that's arguably not that good. Right. Um, I think Casey Stoner is immensely underrated. Immensely. I think the biggest travesty in Grand Prix racing is Casey retiring early. I think Casey is one of the few people that kind of. I wonder if he saw the writing on the wall and was like, nah, I'm good. I did my thing. I won my races. I I got my money. I'm just going to go fish. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's interesting looking at, this is why I love the Jordan documentary so much because it goes into a lot of like his psyche and like what makes an athlete. And as someone that's trained at the top level of a sport, like there is a mental side of it that you have to have that most people don't. You have to be able to fuel yourself on failure and and fuel yourself on per- perfection and be your toughest critic right. and all these things. And I think the thing that, that gets me with Casey is I think it stopped being fun and he saw it as a very narrow thing. He just wanted to go race. He didn't want to talk to assholes like right, me right. doing press debriefs. He didn't want to do media obligations. He didn't want to do a team politics. He just wanted to go on the racetrack kick everyone's ass and go back to his motor home and relax and play video games and then do it all again the next day. And yeah, that doesn't make a great racer though. Cause it's not just about getting on the track and kicking ass. I'm not saying anyone can do that. That takes immense talent and crazy dedication, but someone like Rossi or Jordan for that matter, the reason they were able to build a dynasty was because at the end of the day, they didn't mind looking at the camera and kind of smiling and talking about it and, you know, Letting their adoring fans be adoring fans. That's the thing. I think that's if I had to if I had to boil Casey down, it was that he didn't understand the off track element of motorcycle, right? Or did and just wasn't interested, right? In it. Whereas someone like Rossi, like that's what they use to their fire. That's that's still his thing to the day. He's still using that knob, that dial to 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 dial in his fame, right? And you're starting to see Marquez is getting into that same way. He's starting like, to learn it, yeah, yeah. And there's definitely a political structure of Marquez versus Rossi in terms of who wants to control that paddock, and it's kind of a Spanish versus Italian thing as well. Um, great example. There's actually a story I wanted to say that we missed as well. You look at Andre Iannone. Uh huh. You know all the disaster that's around his career right now. Arguably one of the most naturally gifted riders on the grid. You know, he would be in my top three picks for raw natural talent. The right. keyword being raw. And just not having the mental side, that that athlete's mindset, that yeah. killer mindset, to take that raw talent, polish it, cut it, hone it, po- you know, make it sparkle and make it better than what it is. And, and we see that with all the off-track distractions, all the plastic surgery, all the gangster bullshit. Now we've got him doping. And it's finally, like, truthfully, I think it's finally caught up to him. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I think we've truthfully seen the last days of Iannone's career. And he'll be a cautionary tale. And, and it's, like, it's hilarious that he's helping manage Romano Fanati, who is on that same railroad track down the same bad path that Iannone went. Yeesh. And you're just like, man, super. I remember when Fanati got his start at Qatar on the Italian Federation-backed Moto3 bike. Had no logos, no sponsors. Just a fast kid that the Italians were trying to get you know, some attention for. And he lit it on fire. <laughs> and then he just kind of... It just kind of went to his head. Like, he just... He just he just doesn't have the temperament. He doesn't have the personality to be a world-class I wonder champion. if Rossi would, would have, or if he's already doing it, where he can create a management company for 
sort of helping these young up and coming riders to handle the off track duties that come along with being a racer. That's right? the VR 46 Academy, which Fanati was in and got booted out of because they're saying he wasn't doing the off track stuff that he needed to be doing. Right. He wasn't taking it seriously. And they have very strict, like, like you basically join a cult. You you go and you you live with them. They tell you what to eat. They tell you what to think. They right. tell you what to wear. They tell right. you what to say. I mean, it's a formula. It's proven. Yeah, and they groom you on the track and off the track. Huh. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he's missed he's missed out on that opportunity. Um, what else I got here? Husqvarna dropped the pricing on the Svartpolin Vitpolin seven hundred one bikes. Is that the current? So is that going to be like twenty twenty and newer bikes, or is that just what's left over in dealerships? No, those are twenty twenty bikes. You go on the website, twenty twenties. Wow. I'm sure dealers, I don't know if dealers are blowing them out for less than, I think we had a reader say their local dealer was blowing them out for seven or, or eight, but I couldn't tell if that was a 2020 or a leftover. Probably leftover. If Probably leftover. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to that press launch in Portugal and being, because the bike came out, it was retailing for 12. Right. And understand, this is a KTM 690 Duke with bodywork. Right. There's some electronic stuff that's a little different. Yeah, should, but is it like fair. worth that much more? Yeah. But you sit there and you're just like, listen, there's not $3,000 <laughs> worth of value in this. Especially when like the Vitplin had really bad ergonomics. It was really uncomfortable. Right. And the Svartplin, I remember the Svartplin having this stupid tachometer that went to like 13,000 RPMs. It was like, if you're looking at a clock, the, the RPM gauge goes from eight o'clock to four o'clock. Okay. And then, like, but the actual red line's at, like, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. So, like, literally, you're using, like, half this gauge. Like, all this extra space for advertisement? You're not sharing it with another bike. There's not, like, another model that's going up to 13,000. You know, that's... It's just, like, stupid shit like that where you're just like, what are you guys thinking? And you're going to charge... And you're going to say this is more premium and worth, like, $3,000 more. Like, don't make the bike gimmicky, please. Yeah. And the whole idea of it is to be, like, a naked, bare essentials bike with gimmicky bullshit on it. Come on. Yeah. So... So, what's the new price? Is it... New price is is 95, I think. Okay. That's a lot that. more in line with that, what that bike should be. Yeah, they're retailing for ninety five hundred. The KTM Duke was nine thousand. If you told me there's five hundred dollars of value in there, I'd be like, yeah, okay, probably. Okay, that's that's yeah. where it should have been. She, yeah. that's where it should have been from day one. Yeah, that's 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 a price you could argue with anybody about and be okay with it at the end of the day. Uh, my understanding is those bikes were not selling at all. Like that's for me. It's just like you guys shot yourselves in the in the, in the foot. And now that model's been out for so many years. Right. It's so stale. It's so funny because even now, whenever I see one on the street, I'm like, ooh, look at that. Because I don't see them very often. They were such a hot bike when they first came out. That's what kills me. You know? They they just they overestimated the the value of this sort of modern retro neoclassic, I don't know, cafe racer thing. Everyone's got some kind of a scrambler, right? Including Ducati. But they're still more or less price point bikes. They are now for sure. I think that was the thing they're trying to get away from being price point bikes. Yeah. I don't know. Like it just talk they're about true. mismanaging a, a product, right? Uh, I feel bad for for whoever's job that was. Uh, well, it sounds like they've caught up to it, so hopefully this will help them maintain the model. Hopefully, I mean, we'll see. I like the model. I think they're good looking bikes. I'm I just not, didn't. I just didn't think they're twelve thousand dollars good looking. I thought they were nine thousand. Yeah, they're fun to ride. Yeah, they're super fun. I, I don't know why KTM doesn't bring the six ninety Duke out. 
like can you imagine like that bike for nine grand even these bikes for 95 like amazing we need more quality bikes under ten thousand dollars that's a great street bike the the scrambler ducati scramblers sell like hotcakes still because they are under 10 grand and they're really high quality nice bikes that's what kills me about the scramblers that are above 10 grand because i'm just like you've lost it yeah you've lost the plot you know, you say that, but like one of the best-selling ones is the more expensive Desert Sled one. At least with that, you get better wheels and like high-end suspension. Well, better suspension. The Desert Sled makes sense because it's like a bike you could actually go off-road right. with. That makes sense to me. That's right there with the... I mean, it's not right there, but it, it's in that same realm of kind of what the Tenere 700 is doing, right. what the KTM 790 Adventure is doing. It's hitting a real doing. specific mark, and it's hitting it well. Yeah. Uh I'd rock, I'd rock a desert sled as like a dual sport. Every time I ride one, I just giggle. It's just like a little puppy dog. And oh. I feel like every other bike in that category, like a KTM 690 or anything like that, it's just, it's it's cheap thrills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? Is, we've seen a lot of news about the KTM 490. Um, not a lot of it's that new. I don't know why people are talking about it uh, so much because it's stuff that we've, we've known for a while and maybe we forgot. But the short version is it's going to be made by Bajaj. In India, Bajaj is basically taking the lead on it. It's going to be a 500cc uh, parallel twin. Okay. And they're not really going to be that sporty. Huh. Uh, I haven't really... You tru- would think a 500cc parallel twin, they could probably stuff in a pretty fun little chassis. Yeah, truthfully, Shaheen, like, I haven't heard good things about this bike uh. from, from several sources in the know. Do you think this is meant to be like a more uh, upper market bike for like, say, the south pacific south pacific right asian right upper market right not the same as saying like american upper market no. i look at this as the same way like the ktm 390 series arguably not a very good bike um there's good things about them but like like rc 390 oh you're like oh yeah it's a great little track bike you can go to you know you take a thing on the track it's gonna blow up yeah they're just known for it they yeah. have all sorts of issues yeah I think that it's just mostly about hitting the price point and hitting the format. And I think the, excuse me, I think the 590 is going to be the same way. It's like, you're going to get five different flavors of it. They're going to be pretty cheap. They're going to be made in India. They're going to be designed in Austria. Um, there's some debate about that, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're made with the Asian market in mind. They're not going to be high performing. They're not going to make a lot of horsepower per liter. They're not going to be super long lasting. Like, a great example, like I keep hearing amazing things about the 690 motor from KTM. Obviously, I'm a little biased. It's in the Kramer and all right. that stuff. But you go and you look at, like you take those apart. You go to any motor person and they'll be like, wow, that's the metallurgy is really interesting. The design is really top notch. Like KTM won't build that engine in anywhere but Austria because it's so sophisticated. Yeah, it's got a very specific, uh, like the way it's supposed to be built. It's, it's just, they just, they sit there and it's like, that's why the 690 series cost so much more compared to the 790 because the 790 was designed to be built in india right you know cheaply and affordably with you know cheaper parts and so the 490 is that same way uh i think we're gonna be a little disappointed when when it comes to the u.s hopefully the price point is good enough that it makes like sense but like oh like a 490 adventure sounds rad right like a 500 cc parallel twin that could be super rad it could be but it sounds like... But not if they're going to make just a dinky little motor out of it. It's nothing special. Yeah, I'm hearing like 50 to 60 horsepower. Okay. Out of the 500, you're like, why wouldn't I Why wouldn't I just... Just get the 690? Yeah. I mean, like, 
you'd be way more stoked on a 690 <laughs> you'd be way more stoked on the 790 like there's other bikes from other manufacturers you'd be way more stoked on. like it's just not going to be i think what people want it to be i have i have these worries in my head about brands that in my mind uh as the kids say in my humble opinion um are watering themselves down by having just this crazy you know stretched out model lineup right and it's like oh we're gonna have everything basically from a 390 a 490 a 590 a 690 a 790 an 890 a 1090 and 1290 it's like cool but dang like are you guys actually making money on these how many of these are you selling what is this looking like on your manufacturing side if it's a bike that's designed for let's say this 490 is more or less designed for the south pacific then why don't they just concentrate on that and just sell it there? What's the purpose of bringing it to the U.S. market when a lot of us know it's not going to do that well? I think, I think for them, they look at. It, I think the the number one priority is India, Southeast Asia, right. China, uh, those markets, and that's where they're going to sell. Let's say let's say they sell fifty thousand of them. Right. That's where they're planning on selling forty five thousand of them, and the other five, I think, are just get sprinkled Europe around the rest the, of the world in the U.S. Yeah, right. and it's just like. Yeah, why not? We're we're already making them. You want them? Sure. We're not going to make you take like a hundred of them, right? You know, per dealership or I just anything. worry about the dealers because usually you have to like order X number of the shit bikes to get a couple of the cool bikes. Yeah, like you know, you hear all these dealers. Oh, I have to order ten three nineties to get like two seven nineties, and you know those three nineties just sit there. Yeah, that's a whole. We could have a whole another conversation on how KTM North America handles its dealer networks because I think that is a huge part of the the conundrum right um but just looking at it i feel like this is very much a line that was built for the asian markets and if they can sell them in the western markets then so be it great but like that's not where the money is that's not where the purpose is these are supposed to be for those that can afford because i mean you go to india and you buy a 500 cc bike like you gotta gotta have some coin man um i got a buddy over there that rides a, a tiger 800 i'm like dang dude Right, king dingling over yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> it's just big. That's like rolling around in a fucking Benz, man. Just fuck yeah, just have a Rolls Royce while you're at it. So that'll be. Uh, I'll be curious to see what that looks like. Hopefully, we'll see those. Uh, I was gonna say see them at Eichma and Intermont this year, but those uh, are canceled. I know. Wah, wah. This 2020 is just the year of the, you know, just stay at home, play your PlayStation, go ride a motorcycle, or dirt biking, or something. Let's go. Yeah, you know, solo riding. A lot. Yeah. Of, I've done a lot of that. Uh, as someone that's been to, who went to ICMA last year and has gone to ICMA a lot, 100% agree with them canceling that show. Yeah. There is no, it's there's just a sardine ab- can. There's, yeah, there's nothing about that that's social distancing. <laughs> oh my God. I've had Europeans dollar- aren't that good at social. Like, I've gone every time I go to Europe, it's like Americans have a very, like, you know, give me, give me enough space so I can swing my arms around. Yeah. In Europe, like people are on top. I've stood in like grocery store in in Amsterdam and just had somebody I could feel their breath, and it's like, oh, it's just normal here. I I'm the American that's like, hey man, can I have some extra space? Yeah. And over there, they're like, no, the country's small. We don't have that much space. Fuck off. If I had a dollar for every like Italian dude that rubbed his spaghetti meatballs against me <laughs> at Eichma, man, I could fund the trip because it's just yeah, like you said, it's a sardine can. You're packed in. You're fighting for for elbow room. Uh, it's so so crowded, and that's on the media days. The consumer days are even worse. Oh God, I can't even imagine. 
And you look at, like, they literally have hundreds of thousands of people come through that that exhibition center. Everyone wants to see the newest SW Motec engine guard, bro. <laughs> want to watch something. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I totally see why they canceled it. And Intermot's slightly better, but, yeah, it's just a Petri dish. Do you think there's going to be, like, just, just uh, virtual releases? Here's what I really think. This is the story I got to write. I think it's the death of the trade show. Ooh. You, tell, you want to go back to like we were talking about like opportunities and threats. Right. That's where I already think the trade show was on thin ice. And we see that here in the U.S. because the AIM Expo struggles. Oh, yeah. The IMS show struggles. And it's it's hard to get like – I know they've been really trying to get like industry people there. And you're like, well, you don't launch anything. So why yeah. would I come? Like yeah. I've already – I've already seen all these bikes at Eichmann and Intermont. Yeah, you're not, it's nothing new. You know, there's nothing new. So, like, why would I, why would I come? And, like, we could have that whole conversation. But, and then you go to Eichma, let's flip that coin. Biggest show, biggest trade show for motorcycles in the world. Happens every year. Uh, I cover anywhere between 30 and 50 motorcycles debuting each wow. year. Yeah. In a three-day window. Yeah, I know. You don't sleep during, during that week. It's horrible. I mean, for me, it's brutal. So so you, not only do you have to compete with every other manufacturer dropping at least three to ten new motorcycles, you have to fight for the attention of journalists who are completely hammered and swamped and have no <laughs> sleep and are writing. Like, I can tell you, like, I'm not writing nearly as good of a quality story as I could if I was given time to prep had the photos, you know, had a week to talk to the press officer, had time to think about like, I'm writing 300 word stories when I should be writing 700 word stories because it's just triage. And so you've seen this trickle effect or this creep effect where like Ducati would be like, oh, well, the show starts Monday. We'll, we'll, we'll do our own thing on Sunday. And then, you know, someone else would be like, okay, well, I'm going to do my thing on Saturday. And then Ducati's like, no, 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 I'm going to do my thing on Friday. So now you have like maybe half the brands are trying to one up each other on how like they can have their own launch a couple days earlier. And so what that's done is gotten the brands really savvy on how to do like their own thing without ICMA right. or without Intermod or without right. IMS. And with social media and live streaming, it's pretty effective. And that's like, I've stopped going to ICMA as often because I can cover it just as effectively here with live streams than I would be able to in person. And right. I can, I can crank out more stories and I can give more attention um, and so you're kind of sitting there going like, so why would I want to compete? Like, and actually a great example is triumph this year. They, they like two, three weeks before the trade shows just dumped all their stuff. And there's like, okay, here's our, here's our launch. All of our stuff will be at the trade shows if you want to see it in person. But yeah. they, they basically capitalized on an entire news cycle for a week because everyone else was holding on to their stuff for ICMA. It was brilliant. Uh, and the smart brands, you know, we've seen a couple brands will like, They'll get out of that fall release. They'll be like, they'll do like midsummer launches. And um, it's an effective way to get that motorcycle a lot more attention than it would debuting with 40 other bikes at a trade show. Yeah. I mean, at this point, everybody has access, almost everybody has access to high speed internet and a decent way of looking at things online. Yeah. Everyone's doing that anyways. I mean, everything's just an online presence at this point. I'm sure, I'm sure the show's. I haven't seen like the attendance figures. I don't track that. I have the feeling the ones in Europe are doing okay. I feel like they might even be growing. Um, the ones in the U.S. are struggling, but I think that's a U.S. thing. 
So you, there's something to be said about the consumer side of it and getting to see and touch the bikes. Right. But I can tell you from like a brand perspective, from an OE perspective and from like a journalist journalism perspective, like the value is out the door. Like mm. it's just, there's no value there anymore. And I'll be kind of curious to see with the brands, we're going to have to go basically a cycle now of not being able to have a trade show to do that whole thing. And if they sit there and they go, Hey, you know what we did? We sold just as many bikes. We got just as many people interested. We had just as many leads. With way less overhead. And we didn't have to do like all that craziness. And like Ducati got to go on one week and Triumph got to go on another. And MV got to got the week after that. Right. Like everyone got their time in the sunshine. And everyone's a lot happier. And like that could be really bad news bears for the one I really worry about is Intermont because it's every other year. So they're taking, they're missing this year. They're off next year, so they're back in 2022. Wow. They might not be relevant in 2022. Yeah, I really wonder how they how they maintain their relevance. I mean, they're already kind of like that awkward stepsister to, to ICMA. Why do you think the trade show is starting to kind of go away? I mean, even from the consumer side of things, because like I'm thinking, and you know, for myself, and probably a lot a lot of our listeners will say, yeah, me too. But I look forward to them. I like going there. I like the I like seeing the the metal, and I like kind of getting to feel it and touch it and, and just kind of experience it. But do, it's like chicken or the egg. What, what happened first? Do you think the manufacturers started being less interesting by not inter, you know introducing anything new? Or do you think people are just kind of like, no, nah, I got better things to do with my time than go, go to this thing? Is it attendance? What, what What is the downside here? Not attendance, attention. Attention. I think it's attention. Um I think it's really hard to get people to to leave their house and go do something because there's so many other things that vie for that time. Right. Um, and and I think we're a little bit hostage to new. I think that's the other part of it. If if brands start getting savvy and start realizing like, hey, if we're actually debuting a new bike the day of at ICMA, right. we are going to get lost in the sea. So we've got to do it a week or two before. And then you get into this whole prisoner's dilemma of who can who goes before whom yeah. and, and all that. Um, then it's like, okay, well, that bike came out a month ago. Do I still want to like get out of my house and slump across town and fight elbows to elbows to go see that new bike that came out a month ago? I don't know. Um, I think now after COVID, I mean, as people are less and less interested in being elbow to elbow anywhere, you might, you might have a better perspective uh, on the dealer side, because I know Ducati does a lot of these kind of, I forget what the name is, but they'll do like kind of dealer launches. We're like, it's the first time in the U S you right, get to see the right. new blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah. We got to do that with, uh, the street fighter in February. Yeah. But that was like pre COVID. Right. But I'm curious to see like, you know, the draw of that, like how many people show up to that? How big of an event is that? For a dealer, how much, how many people come through the door versus, you know, something else? Cause like that's a bike, like we'd seen it in photos, right. we've seen it online, right. it debuted at ICMA, they did a whole teaser series, it raced to Pike's Peak. Um, I think, I think the dealer release is, cause that's, that's very analogous to me, cause that's, that's the same thing where it's like, well, it's the first time you get to see it. Yeah. And that's the value of a trade show in my right. mind for a consumer. It's the first time you get to see it. Right. I think the dealership thing is a little bit, uh smarter for all for everybody because as a manufacturer now you're kind of you know being a little more grassroots about it where you can go to let's say on the west coast you know your five top dealers and you know be able to cover all the major ports in the west coast right like if you're looking at like seattle portland bay area los angeles san diego 
you can hit those and get a pretty good number of people that show up to that specific dealer for that specific thing. I think the only downside of that is, you know, if you're having a, let's say a street fighter for the Ducati crowd, you're not necessarily going to get the non-Ducatis to show up, right? Because if if I'm not a Ducati fan and I go to the motorcycle show, I might stop by just to check out and see what's new. But I'm going to go mostly to check out the brand that I'm interested in. So I wonder if that works better. I know on the dealership side, when you, when we do something like that, it allows us to capture a lot of real customers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're there to check out the new Street Fighter or the new R1 or whatever, then if you're a smart dealer, you will have worked with the manufacturer to, you know, have a customer capture setup, which is usually online, and you get a bunch of leads. And let's say out of 200, you might have 10 or 15 proper ones, and you get deposits from those people. And that's, you know, that's a complete cycle at that point. You're, you're showing off the bike, you're getting immediate reaction from everybody, and then you get to see how the dealers doing their job, and you get to see if the customers are buying it. And that's such a quick finger on the pulse of the thing. But it's very, very like grassroots, whereas if you do a big show, you potentially have tens of thousands of people looking at this thing as opposed to 100. I think of it, not grassroots, strategic. You're like the right. Navy SEAL version, right? and Eichema is just like the 5th Cavalry. <laughs> just spray and pray. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe that's the future. I think that's better. I mean... I would love to see the numbers. I, I'm yeah. sure there's a marketing sales director somewhere that's got numbers on that. I'd be very curious to see what the um, the the goal completion is on that, or the you know how many sales come from it. Yeah, uh, I went to a Triumph uh, uh, party this last uh, winter. I want to say it was like December or whenever that was, but I mean they rented out this really really cool warehouse in like an industrial part of Portland. And then they debuted for the Portland crowd, you know, the new Rocket 3, the new Tiger 900, uh, the new Thruxtons, and a couple of the bikes that people had already seen. And you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's that other bike that I've seen already for the last year. But the new stuff, it was like super exciting. And there was hundreds of, like, damn near a thousand people there mm-hmm. just for this party. And it kind of had like a one-show vibe to it because it was in a, you know, old warehouse it was a little bit chilly because it was cold outside but everybody's kind of huddled together and drinking beers and you know there's live music and all that stuff and so i like that i like your idea the analogy of it being sort of like a green seal like boom they're hitting the target every time with it mm-hmm. uh you know as opposed to just spray and pray and hope that out of the fifty thousand attendees they got a 10 percent you know uh set of eyes on their bike because it's all a numbers game, right? Anytime you're doing any sort of sales, it's a numbers game. You want to get X number of people through the door because out of that X number, you're going to have X percentage that are actually interested. And out of that X percentage that's actually interested, you're going to have X percentage that's going to buy. And that number just keeps dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. So if you ma- if you can make it a more pointed, uh, sort of purpose-driven show that people are going to see and be interested in your project product, you're probably gonna have a better sale, and that's uh, I'm 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 with you. I'm kind of I'm thinking that's probably the future, and I'm hoping that a lot of, a lot more companies do it, not just the quirky Italian uh, European ones. That's the thing. Like I don't know why this is a European thing. I don't know why the Japanese brands aren't getting on board with this. Like why isn't there like a, a Honda event like this for dealers and right. and stuff? But maybe it's cultural. I don't know. I wonder. Maybe it's market. That's the thing. Like 
I don't know if I believe that the brands live in different markets anymore because street bikes are so expensive and I'm looking at the time and I'm looking at what we want to talk about. One of the things I really want to talk about was sales. But I think we're going to leave that for next week, Shaheen. Okay. But there is some, there's some interesting trends that are coming out right now. And it's got me percolating and I'm thinking a lot about it. Okay. And I think it's it's a bigger discussion than what we have time for today. But one of those things is like where we're going with street bike sales and how that market's segmenting and like who's buying bikes and and why. Yeah. Um, and that's that's worth a lot of discussion. That's that's a very, very, I think very worthwhile discussion to have a whole yeah. conversation. Geek over. out on, yeah. Yeah. We'll tease that. It's a little teaser. A little teaser. Just a little, little tickle. Just a little, little little smoochy smooch. Yeah. Uh, we can't we can't smooch anymore. Oh, little through the mask smoochy smooch. Well, if, like, what I wonder what the Europeans are doing now with that. They like to kiss. They're, They're just kissers. doing air kiss. They do a little air kiss and the little air, air kisses from like six feet away. Yeah, huh? It's the mwah, mwah. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, kisses, uh, six feet away. Komodo got hit with a two million dollar fine by Carb. Komodo is the parent company for Revzilla and Cycle Gear what and JMP Cycles. They were naughty, naughty little children. Apparently they, $2 million worth of naughty. Not $2 million. I did the math on this. What was it? They got off easy. Really? They got off easy. Yeah, I was Carp, crunching Carp the numbers. Play. What was the numbers? Let me look this up. I say in the story, it could have been a $180 million fine if Jesus. you're going off of the, the, the statute. They got cut a deal. But basically, they were selling, um, you know, race-only parts track only Didn't parts. Didn't learn this shit from Harley back in the day? Well, that's the thing. I think I think what Carb likes to do, because there's a lot of people that, that are doing this, and so they go after the big players. Right. So they went after the largest American motorcycle manufacturer. They went after the largest conglomerate of retail and online sales in the US. Huh. And I think it's just them being like, here's just the quick, Just a quick slap over the hand. Like, we, we, no. come on, we come down on you like a Brinks truck, so all the little guys are terrified. Because <laughs> truthfully, like, if you were a smaller player, if you were, I'm trying to think of like, who's like a small online shop, that's probably mean to call someone small. But like, if, if you were a smaller player, $2 million fine put you out of business. Yeah. It's no joke to Revzilla. I'm, I don't know what they're Jake what Wilson? Their I don't know revenue. if they handle it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it'd be rough. Like, if Jensen's partshop.com Jensen's Park Emporium where you buy parts and stuff $2 million dollars would be uh, that'd well, be bankruptcy looks like we're closing this yeah sorry Coda you're not getting fed this week well Coda you're gonna have to go catch your own mouse today <laughs> um, so in you know they had to clean up like uh, the the wording they use like for you know uh, closed course competition use only and not intended for street use not legal in California that's, I think, the biggest part, the not legal uh, for California part. Yeah. And you, like reading between the, twi- the lines, it's like power commanders and exhausts right. and, and stuff like that. We all that's know what it is. Trouble. It's that thing that you want to change on your bike so you make it a little bit louder and supposedly faster. Yeah. But, it's, you know, it's funny. You talk to dealers. Like there's a lot of dealers in California like just won't sell you that shit yeah. anymore. Or if you do, you have to sign a waiver. Yep. And like 100% of that waiver is going into a file. So if they ever get that $2 million fine, they make, no, 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 no. We did the thing. Fucker signed a waiver. This waiver here. It go says after, for off your offered use only. Go after him. Yeah, we did the thing. Talk to the consumer and you're not going to get $2 million out of them. So, yeah. Huh. Oh, I'm the, you know, they got off easy. Like you said, $2 million is not that bad. I think they did. Um, it's an interesting time. Uh, carbs, carbs getting a little uppity about it. It's interesting. You know, some after, people, some people have, very negative views of carb. What do you think that is? Because they're like the fun police? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's 100% you're the fun police. 
I mean, do yeah, not like a, breathing I'm having the a air. good time, <laughs> and you're telling me not to have a good time. Right. And Mike, I, I, it's again, this is another one of those opportunities that come from COVID. Look at like the places where heavy pollution was, where now like there's no commuters, there's no traffic, right. and how much cleaner they got. And they're yeah. like, yeah, that's why we have carbs. Uh-huh. <laughs> because because like 40 years ago, you couldn't breathe in Southern California. Right. Uh, so I, I'm a pro carb person, but even I look at that one, I'm like, whew, that was rough. You got, a, you got roughed up there. Yeah, they just they grabbed you by the collar and you, shook you a bunch. You had a you had a day. <laughs> I'm not saying you didn't not saying you didn't deserve it. You were saying some shit. Yeah, you were doing some shit. You fucked up. They caught you, but you had a day. They bruised you up a little <laughs> bit. Are you all right? Do you, you need a virtual hug? Yeah. Um. Very interesting. Very interesting to see who didn't cover that story as well. If I can just throw that little grenade over the fence. Really? Just lop yeah. that over there, man. No one covered that story. <laughs> no one covered it. I don't, I, think, cover I, don't think, it. I don't think a single publication in the US because when motorcycle news breaks, asphalt and cover fixes. It's because they all have affiliate links with Revzilla. Yeah, they pay the bills. It's it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? The politics of of links and affiliations and money. This money business. Um, what's my last? I got two things. Um, Aprilia RS two fifty FSP coming to the USA. Super interesting bike. Uh, I'm really interested in that bike. Is that going to be track only or yes, track only. Uh. Uh, has all the cool bits on it. The price was the price was a little zany for the U.S. market. What like, was it? Like RS two fifty two stroke pricing. The 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 cup bike. Remember that thing was ten grand. It's like around 2000? that price. Yeah, it's like eleven. Is it eleven? I mean, all things considered, it's not bad. I'm talking about a bike from like two thousand and six. This is going to be a four stroke two fifty. This is a four stroke. It's not. So that's the, it's it's almost twelve thousand dollars. It's eleven thousand. Yeah, that's a little bit tougher to to swallow. But it's, I mean that. It's got all the cool shit on though. It's got Forge Marchesini wheels. It's got an SC Project exhaust, Olin suspension. Uh, Olin suspension shock is Adriani forks, I believe. Huh. Um, Rise Moto, who's also the importer for Avali, is who's bringing it into okay. to uh, the US. That's that's Brendan Cray too. Uh, TT racer, uh, road racer. Um, that's his company. Um. And all, the bikes are being made by Ovali. That's that's the connection. They were designed by Aprilia, made by Ovali. It's, this is like the Italian connection. Yeah. All the Italian brands got together and are like, how can we make a cool bike to develop young Italian talent? Yep. The only thing I don't like about this bike is the motor because it's a carbureted 250 that makes like, what does it make like horsepower-wise? I got this in store somewhere. 30, 40. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot. It doesn't light the world on fire. Right. Uh, oh, it's interesting that you horsepower. about it. 30 the, horsepower. So the next bike up from that in that world is going to be the Kramer. Oh, uh, yeah. More right. or less. Like how much was your Kramer before you... <laughs> Retail price on a Kramer right now is twenty two five, I believe. Right. So 12 grand is not bad. I, agree. I get that it's a 250, but it comes with a lot of tasty bits for you to go straight to the track with. Comes with some tasty bits. And, and if you got $10 million, you can buy, say, Oregon Race State <laughs> Park. It'd be a great bike for that. <laughs> It'd be a great bike. It would be a great bike for that. What I want to do, or what I want to see, is if someone can figure out how to put like a 450, or you know, like one that, of these, like one that of these, Rolling Sands racer thing, one of these big singles, like from a motocross bike, like right. a 450 Didn't or Rolling Sands do that already. Like uh, those, those little like he did. Well, I mean, it's not just Rolling Sands, but he was one of the people doing it in the right. U.S. Um, you know, doing those super singles, uh, and they're not. Truthfully, they're not great. On racetracks because they blow up, but <laughs> yeah, those motors don't, don't like being at redline all day. Some of those, some of the <laughs> more robust versions of that could could be interesting. That truthfully, the KTM 690 motor is a great one, right? I just look at there and I'm like, man, like if you put a little little more horsepower engine in that thing, 
you could have a real a real screamer because it weighs dry weight is a uh 200 and i'm doing the math in my head 210 pounds holy crap that bike weighs less than me it's, n- it's nothing you could just put it on uh, on your pinky it weighs 30 pounds less than me that's silly that's super silly that's super silly someone like our friend hannah johnson would probably rip and tear everyone apart with yeah. that bike she would she would probably be beating me on the track day is what she'd be doing yeah that's just depressing. she's on an r3 giving you a hard time She's on an R3 with 33% more power. <laughs> and like probably, I mean, how does an R3 weigh? Like 400 pounds or oh, something? Yeah, that's just, so It's all about frugality. Not, twice the weight. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty cool bike. I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a huge seller in the U.S., but I think it's very cool. The thing I do like, and I really hope this, this catches on, it's a great spec series bike. Yeah. It's a great dedicated track bike to develop Talon. Like that was what it was built for. Right. And I hope someone in the US realizes that and says, like, hey, we should have a spec series for these. Yeah, totally. Because at the end of the day, eleven thousand bucks or twelve thousand bucks for a turnkey race bike. It's nothing. It's really not that much. It's really not. It really needs nothing. See, we just built value on this motorcycle that you initially said the price was too high. Learn how to clean carburetors and you're good to go. I am surprised that they're doing carburetors. I wonder what the purpose of that was. Uh, the purpose was injected. one to keep the cost down, and two, they didn't want fuel management and traction control and ride by wire all that all the stuff that comes with a, a fuel injected motor to be the determining factor on why like one kid was beating another. Right, right, right. They want to make it really approachable. It's like okay, you're going to figure out your your jetting, and that's pretty hard to fuck up right. if you know what you're doing, right. and you're good to go. And everyone's on a real equal level playing field. And the, the the cream gets to rise to the top, whereas it it could easily become about who's got the most money. Yeah. If we start making this, this is, this is leveling it down. Real something well. else. Yeah. I'm actually excited about this series. I really hope it, it actually becomes something. I think it will. I mean, it's going to be a thing in Italy. I just I hope. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we need in the U.S. And yeah. I think that's truthfully, I think that's why Brandon and, and Rise Moto were like, we got to have these out here because we need to have that opportunity. Because otherwise, it's like rc390 cups and we've we just talked about how the rc390 is a shitty track bike right uh or it becomes a, a yamaha r3 cup which yeah. is basically what the junior class in uh moto america was until the rules changed and then the r3s weren't cool anymore and you're like <laughs> let's just make a spec series because it's really stupid to try to have these like balancing formulas that help one team one day and not another team and the other isn't there uh, another tiny engine major brand motorcycle that you want to talk about Tiny engine, major motorcycle brand. Come on, little little Kawasaki on. action. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kawasaki Ninja ZX25 R. R. That's a long name for a little bike. At least it's not the uh, CBR 1000 RR Fireblade R Pirate Edition R 2020. <laughs> So, the word on the scuttlebutt today was it will debut in Indonesia July 10th. So, like pretty a week soon. from now, basically. Yeah. Like 10 days from now. Uh, still don't really know anything about this bike, which is just crazy for how long it's been in the sphere and being teased. We did see a, a kind of like leaked dinograph from right. Akropovich that pegged real wheel, rear wheel horsepower at just about 41, 42 horsepower. Dang. Which is pretty good. That's healthy. That's healthy. So I'm figuring, I think marketing speak, they'll be like, it's a 50 metric horsepower engine. 
because by the time that's like 50 PS is like 48, 49 horsepower. That's like six, seven horsepower off from what we're seeing at the rear wheel. That kind of sounds right. Okay. Like, I think that's what they're, what's going to happen. What kind of red line is this thing going to have? 17,000 RPMs. We do know that. It's got traction control, quick shifter, ride by wire with uh, throttle. This might be the coolest 250 I've ever heard of. It's rad. It's super rad. Uh, and, and it's not coming to the U.S. Ah, boo. Um, so New Zealand pricing. Oh, off the top of my head, what was it? It was like, it was like eleven thousand dollars or something like that. New Zealand dollars. I think that's U.S. Oh. By the time I do the math, oh, do I have the thing up here? Man, I never thought I'd live to no. see the day where a two fifty would be eleven thousand dollars. It was. It was quite pricey. Like from Kawasaki. Let me see. Oh wait, here it is. I can click the link. Huh. Past Jensen is helping out future Jensen. Thanks, Jensen from the past. Yeah, it's um, it was f- almost sixteen thousand dollars New Zealand, Holy which moly. works out to ten thousand four hundred US. But I just saw today pricing in, uh, I believe it was India, or like rumored pricing in India, and it worked out to be closer to nine thousand dollars US. Right. So you're kind of like, all right, all right. Was it nine or somehow seven thousands in my head? But it was cheaper. Was the huh. is the takeaway? So we don't really know. And Kawasaki's been playing this game where we don't really know, and things do cost a lot in New Zealand. So I'm not surprised to see New Zealand's pricing being ridiculous. I don't think that's really analogous to to what it would be like, say, in Europe or the U.S. if it ever did come here. But it, it's going to be a premium. I mean, you can pick up a Ninja 400 for like fifty two hundred dollars, fifty three hundred dollars. It kind of depends. Which one you want, right? Because um, they do an ABS and an AMI ABS, and then like it's actually funny. You go to Kawasaki site; they don't give you an MSRP; they give you a range, which makes no sense to me. Huh. But it's in that it's in that neighborhood of five thousand plus. And you're like, it's going to cost more than that. It's going to cost more than that. But in Southeast Asia, where four hundred CCs get the tax to bejesus right. and the insurance is insane, a two fifty makes a lot of sense. And that's what this bike's all about. You guys have a badass 250. Oh, man, this bike's going to be so rad. I'm stoked about it. I really hope we get a good gray market import thing going on. I hope other brands wake up. There's a rumor about a Honda CBR 400, which is probably just going to be a Japanese model. Right. Uh, it may not be cool. Um, but, like, what I like about Kawasaki is they're doing weird shit. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll make a four-cylinder 250. Sure. Totally. No one else is doing that. No. We don't know Surprised if it's they're not strapping a supercharger to it yet, right? Yet, like a first hundred horsepower two fifty. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting. I did a uh, oh, I just I just saw this. Um, I did a a poll to see if people would would buy the bike on on the website. I wonder what the results are now. Can I still see them? Oh, I gotta like scroll. This is great radio that I'm doing here. Patents. Oh, there it is. Okay, so, so far I've had 1,100 responses, Shaheen. Wow. 57% said no, would not buy it if it was priced at $10,000 MSRP, which is kind of fair. Okay. What's interesting, though, 26% said yes, and 17% said maybe. So almost a third of the respondents, a little more than a third, 40%, are like, yeah, yeah, why not? You're, you're in my wheelhouse. Interesting. I think it's a miss. I think it's a miss for Kawasaki not to bring this to the Western markets. I don't think it's going to be a big seller. I don't think it's going to light the world on fire. I mean, KTM's bringing that Indian-made thing here. 
You know, you just you're making them. You're already gonna be making them. You're making them in call, Asia. Man. Put it's them a in tough a- call. Like, do you gamble it? Because we were just kind of ridiculing KTM for bringing that here, but at the same time, not nearly as cool of a bike. How much more excited am I about this than right. I am that 490? Right. Exactly. So it's such an interesting thing to watch, right? Like, we don't know what's going on behind their closed doors and why they're making decisions the way they make them. But somewhere, someone did the market analysis and said, "Nah, that thing's just scream like a banshee." How do you say no to that? I, you know. Carb would say no in a lot of different ways in a $2 million kind of no. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, and on a, I don't know if this is a, an up note, Adrian Morton is leaving MV Augusta. Is that an is, up note? What's that? Is that an up note? I don't know. Not Probably not really. I mean, it's probably an up note for Adrian. I think he's he's going off and doing some cool things. I don't know if I can talk about it. Um, But... uh. It's it's a thing because I rate Adrian as one of the best motorcycle designers of our time. Like the bikes, like Tor- uh, Benelli Tornado, right? Uh, Nine hundred, the TNT, like two of my favorite bikes. Right. Gorgeous from a design perspective. Oh, yeah. Nightmares from a technical perspective. <laughs> um, he did the restyling of the F four, which uh, I love. He did the F three. He did the whole three cylinder series, basically. All of those bikes, I think, look really good, except for maybe like the Revale or the you Stradale. Know that one, I feel like that was kind of like a design exercise of some sort. I'm not sure you designed those either. I don't know if you honest. did. It's, it's a little bit different than the I rest think that of them. was someone else. So I, I'm not. I'm not super positive about that. Maybe that was his kid. Like he was yeah. like, here, draw this. His kid's a really good racer too. Speaking yeah. of, he's. I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up one of these Aprilia oh. RS250s for his kid because that's he's right in that wheelhouse. Um. But you know he makes he makes beautiful machines, um, and I think we I think the upside is we could see his creativity and his hand in a in a larger diversity of motorcycles now that okay. he's he's kind of a free agent so to speak, which is good. And I think he's still helping out MV with some stuff as well. I'm sure someone like him that's got such great vision and and you know he he understands design so well. I feel like any company that gets to have his, you know, help at all is, is going to do all right. Yeah. Yeah. So we wish him the best in his uh, future endeavors there. I'll be curious to see uh, what comes from it. Yeah, I am too. Sounds like you kind of have an idea, but I'm curious to see what happens. I have a little bit of an idea. We, I got to put this out. Is it speculative? We, we talked about this. I've known about this for, for a while now. Um, and I've got a, a good podcast for the motor podcast. I got to get out. Where he and I just kind of rap, and that's it's old because it's like however many months ago it was a lot of months ago, man. But um, there's interesting things there, so uh, keep an eye out for that. All right, I'll, I'll kick that out pretty soon. Okay, we'll get that going. I got to get back on that. Um, but yeah, I think I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. Uh, I'll be curious to see where MV Augusta goes. I'll be curious to see. Um, they just had an event today where we got to learn more about the Brutale One Thousand Double R. And um, they introduced their new design director and it'll be interesting that comes from him. And, you know, the proof is always in the pudding. Like, I think MV has always been a very design oriented company. So I don't think they're going to make any missteps there because it's right. just really important to them. Um, so, yeah, might be good things all the way around. All right. Uh, with that, Shaheen, today is the one year anniversary of us losing Carlin Dunn. It is. So, I, was just, I was just reading on that earlier today. Like, man, it's been a year. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to, to mention that and say he's in our thoughts and uh, we miss him. And 
uh, you know, it's kind of funny talking about the the struggling on the racetrack uh, that we had last Sunday, or I had last Sunday. Right. Um, because the last conversation I had with Carlin was about racing and about the mental side of racing and how you get your head in the game and how you approach it. And I'm thinking back on it now. I'm like, oh man, I should have been, I should have been listening to Carlin on Sunday <laughs> instead of, you know, rattling things around in my brain. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, but, there's always a, 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 a terrible reminder when you lose someone like that is when you think in your head i just had this in my garage recently because we lost a dear friend a couple of months ago mm-hmm. uh and it's you know he was he was such a talented builder and painter and i've got this bodywork sitting in my in my garage for the triple nine my mm-hmm. race bike mm-hmm. and it's like oh man i can't wait till he paints this oh shit right because in your brain you're still you're still firing mm-hmm. these the synapses that says oh yeah this is the normal thing i'm supposed to do. i'm supposed to pick up the phone and call this person so like on sunday the whole, you know, in a, in a different world, maybe in a different uh, reality, you would have picked up the phone and talked to him. Yeah, because especially riding the Street Fighter, you right. know, like a bike he helped develop. Right. Uh, there's like there's so many ways that's coming back around. So it's 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 funny. It's that, and that, the same thing. Our friend, our friend Sean, who we lost right. uh, during the lockdown, um, he painted my Kramer. Yep. And I was looking at the other day, and I was like, oh yeah, hey, this looks really good. I, oh yeah, that's. That was that was one of the probably the last things Sean painted. Yeah. You know, There's a couple of bikes at the track that you was know? that was his handiwork. Yeah. When we were talking about that. So it's it's funny how you you remember the people that you've lost in yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, it's interesting. You know, I never forget them, but I it's the emotional roller coaster that I have personally dealt with on it is when I think i'm supposed to just call them and talk to them still you know mm-hmm. it's it's hard to let go of that idea i know you and carlin were much much closer than i mean i knew him in a very uh surface kind of way but i imagine it's probably the same way you know that that's that's a phone call that should have just naturally happened mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's taken a while to process that one i don't think i i don't think i have yet right it's weird Huh, takes uh, time. Takes time. A little bit of a melancholy ending <laughs> to the, ah, the you know, podcast. To remember, remember the loved ones, man. Um, the the upside is we're here. We're recording podcasts. Yep. We're, we're riding uh, Street Fighters. Shaheen's in my living room. We, I am. We've got our masks we're, we're, on. We're ten feet away. We do, well, we figured it out. My couch is nine feet long, and I'm at a little bit off off to an angle. So this has got to be ten feet. It's about ten feet. It's got to be ten feet. We got yeah. the masks. So I'm, I'm curious got, to see. Curious to see how this sounds with us having masks. I'm curious on. too, because half the time I have to pull the mask out of my mouth when just I talk. Kinda, just kind of, yeah, I'm doing this a lot. <laughs> we're gonna have to like rethink how we do this. Um, so we're out. We're recording podcasts. We'll be we'll be sending them out your way uh, before we kick people out back to their regular lives. So I just want to make sure that you are following us on social media, right? At We Brap Talk on Twitter, at Brap Talk on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook under the name Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us your love. Yeah, talk to us. Send us anything. Send me a joke. Send, send me questions. The, the things uh, we brap talk at gmail.com. That's right. Is the easiest way to get hold of Shaheen. Yep. Every three months slash years, I go and look <laughs> at it as well. <laughs> um, I see it all the time. It pops up on my phone as soon as somebody says something. Yeah. So, so uh, tell us how you're getting through the, yeah. the lockdown. Tell us how the first six months of 2020 have been that's for right. you. What are you doing to do your, you know, on two <laughs> wheels that's helping you cope? Yeah. This is a very important thing. And I think uh, a lot of, especially dudes that I know, they don't like to talk about how to cope with things. So come at me. Tell me what you're doing and we'll broadcast it. We'll tell other people so that maybe they can cope as well. 
I have a degree in psychology. Tell me about your feelings. There you go. I have a lot of them. I can lay on this couch and talk to you all night. <laughs> all right, sir. Uh, safety third. Make good choices. Good talk. See you out there. Bye. <coughs> Ooh, I got COVID, bro. I gotta wash the COVID down. <laughs> Don't let it come up. You gotta mountain do it down. <laughs>